Uh, I don't know if Scott saw the slides for the sermon today, but um, a couple of the songs are right on point. So uh, if he didn't, happy accident, um, or providence, I guess I should say. But uh, if, if he did, then I appreciate that a lot. Um, you can say in your Bibles at Psalm 19, we're not going to be there exclusively today at all. So today I want to do something that's a little different for me. I, I mean, there's a, I should, I, I'm not going to say a great debate as if it's something that is, uh, man, everyone talks about it. But uh, there is kind of a debate about like, is topical or more expository um, sermons the way to go? Should you just go to a text and just have an exposition of it and just walk through it? Or should you do topical and try to like look at a lot of different texts so that way people kind of know more of uh, th- more things that are in God's Word. And um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what I prefer. I, it just kind of happens the way it happens sometimes for me. Um, maybe I need to be more intentional with how I do that and have an actual um, pattern. But today just feels a little different for me because instead of um, being topical and also kind of trying just to be in a couple of different scriptures, we're going to be bouncing around quite a bit. So if you're at your Bibles, you're going to use them a lot today. Um, and what I want to first just ask is, how do you gauge how well you know someone? How, how do you usually get, just think about that. Like if I were to say, um, how well do you know David, Mast? Um, not old David. We, we, we're, we're going away from labels like that. You know, we did that for a time, and then I think the joke became too uh, not funny. So, um, but how, how well do you know David? Or how well do you know Tim? Or how... Like, if I were to ask you that, what would you use as a gauge and then to answer? Like, how would you answer that? Sometimes it's really easy, and sometimes it's actually kind of difficult to know how well you know someone. Um, what you can't do is you can't say, oh, I know someone, but I've never met them. Well, you, you might, like, know what someone looks like without ever meeting them, but you can't say you know them. We, we, we understand that. Um, also, have you ever gotten into this kind of weird game where people uh, try to compare how well they know someone to compared to how well you know them um that can be kind of strange where like you're like oh i'm really good friends with so and so and they're like no 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 i'm really good friends. it's like why well, are we comparing friendship to this person uh but that does happen sometimes and i remember that happening more when i was in college like i think people were very like territorial over who their friends were and and they were just like no this is this is my friend um and that that was always kind of strange to me but i do remember feeling that a couple times where like Maybe, like, someone that was really close to me, they were, like, one of my best friends. Like, maybe they started, like, having a lot of uh, more friends. So, like, their time and attention was a little bit more scattered. So, therefore, like, we weren't around each other a lot. We weren't as close. And so, like, we know what that's like to be really close with someone and then maybe not as being as close with them. And the truth is that we can still say, no, I know them, and I know them very well. But after some time, that might not be true. Like, you knew them, but that doesn't mean you know them, right? Because people do change. Well, what we're going to talk about today is we're going to ask the question, how well do you know God? You know, the only difference to that is that God doesn't change. So, like, he doesn't change, although we change. So our knowledge of God doesn't have to uh, grow and change based on him changing and growing. Our knowledge of God grows and changes based on us a lot of times. When we're children... The things we know about God are the things like what David said uh, that Hattie's class was going through, like with the universe. So sometimes when, when we're younger, all we know about God is like, you know, like he's got the whole world in his hands kind of thing. You know, like I mean, they just know the songs, right? Um, 
the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. They don't even know what's in it, but they know that's the book for me, right? And then we get older and we're like, oh, okay, this is the book for me. Like, this actually helps me understand how I need to live and gives me hope for future and, and I understand salvation. But there's things just as we grow up that we realize, like, I don't know God the same now as I used to. And it's not because God has changed. It's because I've changed. So I just want you to ask yourself the question, how well do I know God? Because we're just going to look at a few different ways that we should be pursuing our knowledge of God or growing in our knowledge of God. And we're talking about a couple ways that we should not be doing that. And then what I want to do is I want us to just consider what we need to be doing with our knowledge of God. So, if, like I said, if you're in Psalm 19, if you want to mark that, you can go ahead and mark that because we're going to come back to that in just a little bit. There's going to be some scriptures that we turn to and some that I just start reading and, and quoting. And uh, so if you want to write those down and look at them up later, feel free to do that. But this is really important. This isn't just a friend that we just think is cool, that like we think, oh, I, I know this person and that like fills me up because like I think they're great. This isn't just someone that has like a high status and so I think it's going to benefit me knowing them. Like we're talking about knowing God. And I think the Bible is pretty clear. Like, we need to know God, and we need to understand him, and we need to grow in our knowledge of him. First thing that I want to uh, point out is that God actually wants us to know him. I think he's made that pretty clear. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him boast about, let him who boasts boast in this. That he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Okay, so there's two quick points about that. First is, you think you're smart, you think you're wise, you think you're mighty, you think you're powerful. Well, that doesn't mean anything. You know what God says means something is that you just know him. But not just know that he exists, but know him and know some things about him. He is the Lord. He practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness. We need to know who he is, not just know he exists. But then another point that I think we need to understand is that we need to know what he delights in so then we can understand more about God, right? He delights in these things. So it's we need to know he exists. We need to like humble ourselves and not boast in our knowledge and wisdom. We need to boast in the fact that we understand and know God. Another verse that, uh, that we see in John 17, 3 Jesus is saying, this is eternal life. This is actually in his prayer to his father. He says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus answers in a, couple, a couple times, he answers a question about like, what is eternal life or how can I have eternal life? But in his discourse with his father, what's recorded is he says this, this is eternal life, that you know God, to know the father. That's what Jesus says. And then in 2 Peter 1, we're not going to read all of 2 through 12. We're going to read 2 through 4 and then skip down to verse 12. But if you want to read all through 2 through 12, it's really helpful, I think, to do that. Peter says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So first off, do you notice what he says about knowledge? He says that um, grace and peace is multiplied to us in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. You want to have grace and peace? 
Well, you need to grow in your knowledge of God and of Jesus. But then he says also that his divine power has granted all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us, through God, right? So do you want to know how to live? You want to know what is the right way to live? Well, you need to grow in your knowledge of God. That's what he says. And not just how to live now, but like I think that what's there in Second Peter is also he's saying, you want to know how to just have life, which goes beyond just this life. Well, you need to grow in the knowledge of our Lord. Let's skip down to verse number 12. He says, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them are and are established in the truth that you have. I remember we emphasized this a couple, maybe it was last year, um, that sometimes it's good to have reminders. I realize some of this whole sermon might just be reminders for a lot of us. It's good for us to be reminded of things. And what Peter says that it's good for us to be reminded of is that when we know these things, these truths about God, we become established in the truth that we already have. We just, we just need to remind ourselves so that we grow in our knowledge. And maybe not grow as not add things to knowledge, like add more facts about God, but rather get more established in truth about God. That is, that is going to benefit us. It's going to help us. The Bible teaches that the God wants us to know him. When it says know him, that's not just like an acknowledgement. If you think of acknowledge, know is part of that. It's in, it's in the word acknowledge. But it's more than that. Really, like knowing God, it really brings along with it a relationship, an intimate relationship, really. It's possible for us to know people, but not really know them. That happens a lot. Um, but it's possible for us to know God and not really know him. So we just need to analyze this. We just need to think about this. But first, what we need to know is we need to know that God wants us to know him. He's made that clear. And we're going to use three different ways that he has, I think, showed that he wants us to know him. Three different things that God has given us so that we can know him. There's probably a fourth that I'm not going to mention, and you might think of a fifth and a sixth. But I can, I can acknowledge there's going to be a fourth that we're just not going to talk about today. So I'll go ahead and tell you what the fourth one is that I thought of that we're not going to talk about, and that's through people, through, through his church. We're not going to talk about that today because it just didn't fit in the lesson. Three points is really easy, so that's what I did. Um, but also because I think there's some ambiguity in how we know God through people. Like, it's true, but it's also, like, not true, you know? And I think it's dangerous for us to think, like, you can know God through people. I think that there is some danger there because we aren't in the perfect image of God. So we need to be careful that we don't just associate knowing God by being familiar and associated with godly people. That could be kind of dangerous at times. So one thing I do want to point out, this is a quote from a guy that I don't sign off on probably most of what he teaches, but here's one thing that I thought was really good. His, his name is A.W. Tozer. It says, wrong ideas about God are not only the fountain from which they, the polluted waters of idolatry flow, they are themselves idolatrous. The idolater simply imagines things about God and acts as if they were. They were true. All right. I'll try to, to I probably can't explain this better than a lot of you, but what I think he's saying is wrong ideas about God can lead to idolatry, but wrong ideas about God themselves can be idolatrous because your idea of God in your mind could be wrong. So therefore, the God that you serve could be the wrong God, and that's idolatry. Or the way you think that you should practice your worship for, for this God that you've made up in your own mind or the things that he wants you to do, you're, you're thinking, well, this is what I know about God, so I'm going to live this way. What if you're not right about what you know about God? You're still thinking of the same God. You're still thinking the God of the Bible, but you're not really like 
considering who he is, you're just like assuming you know things. And so therefore you're worshiping and using him as the authority. Well, next thing you know, you're, you're an idolatrous. And you don't even know it. And my, that's kind of interesting that at the end of 1 John, one of the things he says, at the, the last thing he says in 1 John chapter 5, stay away from idols. <laughs> but he hasn't spent that whole letter talking about idols. But what he has spent a lot of that letter talking about is who Jesus truly is. You see, John is trying to teach them that if you are off on who Jesus is, you're idolatrous. When we're off about who God is and knowing God, we're idolatrous people. And we can be that even in the church. And it's just something we need to, I guess, take stock in, something we need to analyze. So there's three ways that we can know God. Okay? And we've sang about two of them, at least, today. The first way is through creation. Creation proclaims God. So if you're already in Psalm 19, let's reread some of Psalm 19. We'll read verses 1 through 4. Psalm 19, 1 through 4. David says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Here's what we just sang just a little bit ago. This is my father's world, and to my listening ears, all nature sings and around me rings the music of the spheres. Then he goes on to say, this is my father's world, the birds their carols raise, the morning light, the lily white, declare their maker's praise. He shines in all that's fair, in the rustling grass I hear him pass. I, I've always kind of thought about that as like, just I take my mind to the garden and I think that's what's kind of going on here, but maybe that's not what it is. Maybe what the writer of this is saying just is when you're in nature, you hear rustling grass, it should remind you of like who made that, who caused that to happen. That's evidence of wind and everything and it's like, well, who made that? Well, we, we, we can see God in all these things. We hear God's handiwork in everything around us. But then he goes on to say, um, this is my father's world, oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. I don't, I don't think creation necessarily solves all of our problems, and I don't think that, like, anytime you're feeling blue, just go out in nature and everything is just all good. But I do think there's something about just the reminder that God has intended to proclaim himself through nature, through creation. So we should take advantage of that. Another verse is in Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14, if you want to turn there, you can mark Psalm 19 if you want to. But in Acts chapter 14, this is actually when we see um, Paul and, and Barnabas are teaching some people. You go down to verse 14. So Paul and Barnabas have just been lifted up as gods, right? They, they've been proclaimed as gods. And look at what he says in verse 14. Excuse me, verse 15. He says, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. You know what Paul and Barnabas do to like try and like not prove, but really preach to these people that stop worshiping us. We are not God. They point to nature. They say, this is, you need to worship this God, the God who made the heaven and the earth and sea and everything in it. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. What's the witness? 
He did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Paul and Barnabas say that the witness of who God is, or witness that there is a God that they should be seeking, instead of bowing and worshiping Paul and Barnabas, is the God that has created all things and provided through his creation. The witness is that he sends rains from heaven and he sends fruitful seasons. So creation proclaims that there is a God, and it proclaims some things about God. You know, one thing we need to watch out for, though, is sometimes we can make creation God itself. Creation is not God. Creation was created by God. So we just need to be careful to not go too much onto that side and think, well, animals are God, or like we worship these things, and even ourselves, we're creation. So therefore, sometimes we can worship ourselves you know, when we do that, it's the same thing that happens in, in the beginning of Romans, which we'll go to in a little bit. Um, Paul, in, in the beginning of Romans, is making it pretty clear that, like, creation was meant to proclaim and declare God, but sometimes we can worship the what is created instead of the creator. And when we do that, we just go so so far off, but, but we, we kind of are deceiving ourselves. We don't even see it because it's still part of who God is. Like, there's still things about God in what he has created, even when we misuse those things so creation proclaims god the second thing i think that we see is that god's word teaches us about him so if you're still in psalm 19 uh, david thought that i, I mean I, jason thought i told him to read psalm 119 um and that would have just we'd have been here all day so um but psalm 19 uh if you go on down to verse number seven we'll read seven through eleven david says the law of the lord is perfect reviving the soul the testimony of the lord is sure making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right and rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Like, I think one thing that we see here is that we know God through his word. One thing that is very interesting to me is how many people they know they they know things about God and yet they act like that's just always been inside them. They've always just known that apart from God's word. And that just doesn't make sense to me. Like I don't know where that comes from. There are a lot of people that we talk to and there, there's probably some of us that get this way. When you've been just kind of brought up with a lot of things about God and even Jesus talked about, we just think we know God apart from the Bible, which is just, is just impossible. I mean, creation does proclaim God, but many people look around them in nature and start worshiping what they think is God, and it's not God, because they worship the creation itself, right? But then somehow we kind of just like, buck against the idea that you must have God's word in order to know God. Or some people just have like a thing about God. You wouldn't even know anything about God without his word. We wouldn't know a single thing about Jesus Christ without his word. I don't think. I mean, God could have chosen to do it a different way. But like in our situation presently, we would know absolutely nothing without his revealed word. So anyone of us or anyone we interact with, 
that believes they just have this innate thing that they just know God, and it's like an intimate relationship, I think without God's word, I, I think they're wrong. In fact, some of the things that they would say, I just know, well, because God is love. Well, how do you know God is love? How do you know God is love? Doesn't his word say it? <laughs> you wouldn't know that just by living. You wouldn't know that just by being raised and, and all of a sudden you get to be 25 and you're like, well, God is love. Yeah, makes total sense. No, you wouldn't know that. Or, or if you did think that somehow, you wouldn't understand it to be sacrificial love because how can you really know the love of God without knowing the story of Jesus and without knowing God's plan through Jesus? You, you wouldn't know the love of God without his word. And, and somehow... I don't know, we, people, we just kind of confuse ourselves and deceive ourselves into thinking that we know God apart from his word. Another scripture I want to go to is 2 Peter 1. I'm not going to turn there, uh, but if you want to turn there, you can. 2 Peter 1, 19 through 21. Peter says, We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. We're the people in a dark place, and God's word is the lamp to our feet. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's how God has spoken to us, right? The beginning of Hebrews makes it pretty clear that like God has used people throughout time to convey his word and his message and his truths to mankind, but in these last days has communicated through Jesus Christ, is what the Hebrew writer says. So how, how do we have his word? Well, God spoke through men. Men spoke as they were carried by God through his Holy Spirit. I think there's a lot of ways we can understand God and know him, but it, it's, just, it's just difficult to know anything about him without his word. So that's why, like the song that we sang a little bit ago is, pretty important and it's pretty important that we know like what this song means so he says speak O lord as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word take your truth planted deep in us shape and fashion us in your likeness you want to know how to be more like god you want to know how to be fashioned and shaped be created new you're not going to be able to do that without his word you don't know things just within you, innately, to be like God. We don't, we, don't, we don't have that. That the light of Christ might be seen today in, your act, in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. So speak, O Lord, and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. Like, how can we shine the light of Christ as Christians today? Well, because I just am a Christian, so I just live, and I just live by my own rules, right? I just, I just know what to do. No. How do you know... Um, the acts of love and deeds of faith that you ought to be doing. Well, it's only through God's word. Like, there's just no other way around it, I think. So then the song goes on to say, Speak, O Lord, and renew our minds. Help us grasp the heights of your plans for us. And there's, there's a lot of people that say a lot of things. They're like, this is what God is planning and purposed, and like, this is what God is doing. And, it, and it's so apart, so, so far apart from God's word but it still sounds so appealing. Like, there are things that can draw us away from God because remember the whole thing we said earlier about that we have an idea of God in our mind and then that can become idolatrous. Well, sometimes we just think 
we know what God is purposing and planning, that can be idolatrous. Because if it's not something that we actually like are seeing a line in God's word, then well, that's not God. And that's not his plan. That's not his purpose. The third thing that I think helps us to know God is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ shows God to us. In John 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. That's a big statement. That's a big statement for someone to say, you want to know God. Well, you know God through me, is what Jesus says. But then he says, from now on, you do know him and you have seen him. No one can see God. But through Jesus, we see God, right? Now, we, the, the, his glory was not fully witnessed. His glory was not fully seen. Remember that story with, or the interaction with Moses and God where, like, Moses wants to see the glory of God. And he's like, no, you can't, you can't see it. Like, you, you would die. You just can't see it. Um, but God allows Moses to see, like, through a cleft of the rock, see his, like, back pass. I don't, I, don't, I don't even understand that. But, like, I mean, that's what God says is going to happen. That's what happens. And, and it helps Moses to be confident so he can go out and say, this, the, the I am has sent me, right? Like, God is the one that is leading us. Yeah, you see the cloud. Yeah, you see the pillar. But, like, I saw the glory of God, right? Um, well, we've seen the glory of God through Jesus. Now, we haven't seen Jesus with our own physical eyes, but when we see Jesus in the scriptures, when we truly just see how he lived, see how he interacted with people, I think what Jesus is saying is we're seeing God. When we believe in the miracles that he performed and we believe in the things that he did and said, we're, we're seeing God. We're seeing maybe not him with our physical eyes, and maybe we try to imagine what he looks like, and that, that's kind of hard, but we're seeing what, G, what, what God looks like on earth through Jesus. And then in 1 John, I already referenced this, 1 John 5, verse 20, John says, We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So we may know the Son of God has come and given us understanding, but then what, what do we get to know through Jesus? We know him who is true. I think what John is saying is we know God through Jesus. And we can have confidence because we are in Jesus Christ. Okay, so I think these three things are, I think that's it. I think that's what God has given us to know him. And like I said, you might think of a couple more. When you really boil it down, how has God shown who he is? Or how does he want you to get to know him? I think it's these three things. I think it's creation. I think it's his word. I think it's Jesus Christ. What's actually interesting is all three of these things can be wrapped up in Jesus himself, right? Because what does John 1 say? John 1 says that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, right? And then you come on down a little bit, and he became flesh and dwelt among us. It's Jesus. And if you really think about it, even the second one, um, excuse me, the first one, creation, all things were created through him and by him, and for him, right? So you want to get to know God, you draw near to him through Jesus Christ, but these are three things that we have, and we do have people. We have his church, right? But again, I, I think that that can be a little dangerous, just like all these three can be a little dangerous. 
we need to understand who God is by the things that he's given us. So here's a quick little knowledge self-check, right? This is not something for you to answer out loud. Please don't. Uh, this is also not something that is like, I'm going to check your knowledge. This, this actually has nothing to do with like trying to gauge where you are as far as how much you know about God. Rather, how are you trying to know God? So the first, these are just four questions that you can just ask yourself. First, have you used God-given sources to know God, or have you used other sources to know God? You know what happens when we don't use God-given sources, or when we use God-given sources the wrong way? Well, Romans 1 is, is what happens. Romans 1, 28, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. When we seek to know God through other ways, through our own ways, or we seek to know God through the things he's given, but we just abuse those things, and we form a, like our own God in our own minds, well, God gives us up to a debased mind to do whatever we want. So have you used God-given sources to know him or other ways? Second question, have you grown in your understanding or your practice of your faith over the last year? Hebrews 5 says, Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Like, we're, we're all kind of, like, sometimes um, going back and forth between our ability to have solid food, and sometimes we just need milk, even as adults. But he does say this, everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. God wants us to be childlike in our humility and like openness to his truth, but he doesn't want us to stay like, like children in our minds. He wants us to be skilled. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So have you grown in your understanding or your practice of faith over the last year? I mean, 2022 is almost done. It practically is done, it seems to me. I mean, like you have holidays coming, and that's just a blur. So it's like it's done. So think back to the beginning of the year. Have you grown in your faith? Have you grown in your knowledge? How about this question? What do you do when the Bible disagrees with you? Like you already have something in your mind that you know is true. And then, like, you start reading, and it's different than what you thought. You can change what you're reading and, like, fit it into, like, I don't know, like, try to fit it into, like, a piece of origami or something like that, and then be like, okay, that's what I thought already. No, like, God's word is what it is. So, what do you do when the Bible disagrees with you? Do you change what you thought? Or do you somehow ignore what God has said? Or do you take what God has said and, like, change it up into something that at this point it's not even what it says and now it's like okay no I'm doing what God said the Bible's just confirming everything I've always believed it shouldn't be that way I don't care how long you've been a Christian like there should be some things you see in God's word that's just like that's hard or I didn't really I didn't really see that before I didn't really notice that how about this last question do you look more like Christ than in the past? Like right now, do you look more like Christ than in the past? You, you can gauge that. You can gauge that by knowing Jesus, by understanding him, seeing his character. Colossians 3, Paul says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old man 
with, a self, with the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You should be someone, and I should be someone, that has put on the new self, put off the old self. But you know how the new self is being renewed? You know how it's being like constantly made new through knowledge, through knowing God and knowing Christ after the image of our creator? So these are just some good questions maybe to, to think about and ask yourself. Now I've just got three points. I guess application points, and then we'll say a prayer, asking God to help us with our knowledge, and then that'll be it for today. First is we need to use creation to highlight God's glory. It's one thing for us to go up on top of a mountain and just be so filled up and like, oh, I'm at peace now. What are, we, what are you doing with it, though? Like if God is wanting people to know him through creation, that's one method. And it's not just so that you know him, it's so that other people know him. God wants you to use the creation you believe in to highlight his glory. We can teach people through creation. Psalm 105, verses 1 through 4 says, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people. Now, in Psalm 105, I think he's talking about a lot of wondrous works of God, not just creation. But let's just stick with creation and say that's one of his wondrous works. Well, what the psalmist says is, Make known his deeds among the people. And he says in verse 2, Tell of all his wondrous works. Like, use creation to highlight God's glory without worshiping the creation. We need to be doing that. Actually, let's go over to, uh, to Acts 17. So we talked about this Thursday night. Josh Jones brought this up Thursday night. And after I looked at this, I thought it was a really good verse for us to use. In Acts 17, when Paul goes to the Areopagus and he's talking about all these different gods and stuff like that that they believe in, um, if you go down to verse 24... Through 28 we'll read that because he sees this one thing to the unknown God and he's like he's going to use that as a way to teach about the God he believes in so Paul says the God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by men nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined a lot of periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Okay, so it's interesting. He uses a couple of things here to teach about God. He uses their own poetry. He uses scripture, right? But what he really starts with is look at creation. The God who made the world and everything in it. And then he goes on to say that it's in him that he, he has given all mankind life and breath and everything. Creation is meant to show God in his wondrous glory. So if we believe in this God, let's use creation to highlight God's glory. Second thing that I think we need to do is we need to make sure we're using his word appropriately. God's word should be heard, loved, and followed. So we'll go to Psalm 119. We're not going to read everything in there. But Psalm 119, if you want to skip over to um, verse 89 of Psalm 119, we're just going to read a short little section of this. Psalm 119, I never thought about this. I was listening to a podcast, and they were talking about 
uh, well, they were talking about a lot of different things, but at one point, one of the guys talked about Psalm 119, and he was like, I've always struggled with the fact that the psalmist just keeps saying how much he delights and loves God's word. Like, it's just like, he's like, that just is hard for me to grasp. And I started thinking, I was like, yeah, I, I get that. I have times like that. Like, sometimes it's just hard for me to say, I love his word. It's so amazing. Sometimes I'm like, his word's hard. That, that's how I feel. That's what I think. But let, let's look at verse 89 through 94. It says, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You've established the earth, and it stands fast. So we're looking at creation there. But then he says, By your appointments, by your appointment, they stand this day, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. When you're going through hard things, like in Nate's prayer, he talked about going through difficult things. What steadies you? What the psalmist says here is, if your law had not been my delight, not just like the comforting part of God's word, but like he says the law, the Mosaic law that we skip over a lot of times. He says, if your law had not been my delight, I would have just perished and wasted away in affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them... You've given me life. I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. How do you have life? Through God's word. Right? And you could go all the way back and you say, well, it's because God has breathed life into us as humans and everything. You know what that breath of God is? It's his spirit, but also like that's kind of his word in a way. Like That's how God gives us life, and that's how we know how to live. So let's never forget his precepts. So we need to hear his word. We need to seek it. We need to love it. We need to follow it. And when we talk to other people, we don't need to act like it's burdensome. We don't need to act like it's a, just like a drudgery to read God's word or anything. We need to speak about God's word to people who maybe aren't, aren't believers or maybe are not faithful to him. We need to speak about God's word in a way that is very positive, thankful that we have it. Because without his word, we would have perished. Without his word, we would have no understanding of how we need to live. No hope. The last thing that we need to do is knowing Christ helps us become more like him. So this is not just so that we can know about God. It's so that we can be more like Christ. Philippians 3, 8-11 through 11 says, Paul says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everything's lost. He's left everything behind. He's gone through so much difficulty. Well, how is it worth it to him? Because he knows Christ. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. One of the reasons Christ is so valuable, valuable and knowing him is so valuable is because we know the power of his resurrection. So we can be like him now by, I guess, having our character more like Christ, but also we can be like him in his death and the hope of our resurrection, just like he was raised from the dead. We're looking forward to a day when we can fully be with the Lord. Well, how can I continue to be hopeful and how, how can I continue to be confident? I think we'd be like Paul here. We say, 
I just need to know Christ. Like, I need to like, be firmly established in knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. And one thing that Paul does say is that he also wants to share in the sufferings of Christ in order to attain the power of the resurrection. That, that's hard. That's hard to want that. But you know what happens when we're more like Christ, even in suffering? Doesn't it give God glory? Like, was it, wasn't Christ's obedience, wasn't his suffering something that just gave God glory? And what, what was the product of that? Mankind, people, were able to see God through Jesus, through his suffering. What happens when we suffer? Like Christ. We try to be like Christ in our suffering. People can see God. People can come to know God. I know these things are maybe just reminders, but I think that they're good reminders. I have two other texts I, I just want to mention before we wrap up. The first is Titus 1, 15 through 16. Titus 1, 15 through 16, Paul tells Titus, to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God. We can profess to know God. We could be like this. But they deny him by their works. We can do that too. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. See, through our knowledge of God, God wants to use us so that his glory is proclaimed so that people know him through our works. Or they see, they see him through us, and they see that it's not us, but it's actually God that is working through us. That's what Ephesians 2 is saying. But we can profess to know God, and then we live a certain way that our, our works are detestable. Our works are not giving glory to God. And so people aren't knowing God through us. There have been people who have claimed to know God and live their life in a terrible way. They've committed awful acts. And so therefore, people don't know God. In fact, they run far away from God because of how believers and Christians live. Because it's through us that people will hopefully come to know God. But what we need to be doing is pointing people to those three things that we've already listed. We need to be pointing people to look around you. Look at, look at creation. We need to be pointing people to, hey, let, let's look at his word. Like, let's just look at what God has said. And we need pointing people to Christ, saying, look to him. Don't look to me, Okay. Like, I, I'm going to mess up a lot, and I'm going to do you wrong, and I'm not going to want to, or I don't want to now, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to do things wrong. But I'm not Christ. So don't, don't look at me and think I represent God perfectly. You can trust in Christ, though. He does. So we need to make sure that as we profess to know God, that our works and our deeds profess our knowledge of God. So that other people will come to know God through us. And the last verse is Colossians 3. So I just did verse 1 and verse 10. Paul says to the Colossians, if you have been raised with Christ, by the way, in chapter 2, he's already talked about being dead and then being raised. And he says that through baptism, that this, this happens and things like that. He says, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. See at the right hand of God. Like, so set your mind on things that are above, right? Seek things that are above. But you've put on the new self, which is being renewed, in knowledge, after the image of its creator. That, that's who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be people that have died to sin. We're supposed to be people that have been raised 
to walk a new life patterned after Christ. And we're supposed to be renewed. Renewed in knowledge. So that we reflect the image of the Creator. That's what we're supposed to do. If you're here and you realize that you have used other ways of trying to know God, and you realize maybe even right now at this moment that maybe you don't know God as well as you thought, and you want to know God better. Well, there's a couple things that you can do. Um, if you feel compelled to ask for prayers, then I would just ask, I mean, this is just kind of how this has happened, I guess. There's four chairs up here. If you need to come ask for prayers at this group, you can come sit at one of these prayers and we'll have a conversation real quick during the song that we're going to sing. We can pray for you. We can follow up with you. We can try and point you to God the best we can. We can try to study with you. Um, if you realize that you haven't died to your sin, you haven't been raised to walk in newness of life, because you haven't confessed Christ and you have not been baptized, then although we don't have water here, um, sure, rained a lot. We could have just like set out a big tub. I guess it would have been fine. Um, but no, we, we'll, we'll find a way to, to make sure that you get baptized even today. Um, those things are logistics, and we find our way around those things. But if you're also here and you realize, yeah, I don't, I don't think that that's my problem, but I think I have been kind of led away a little bit, and I've let I've like kind of taken for granted my knowledge, and maybe I'm getting puffed up. I would just ask that, that you pray and that you ask God to help you, because I've realized that about myself at times. We need to be humble people that don't boast in our knowledge, but just are thankful for the ways God has desired for us to know him. So let's go ahead and pray now. Our Father, Lord, we believe that you are the creator of all things, that you are so wonderful, you're so powerful, that you have all authority. We look out at the world and we see so much brokenness, but we look out at the world and we see so much beauty and so much wonder. And God, we believe that it is only through your hands that these things have been made. God, we, we thank you so much for creation, for your word that has been communicated through, through men and women, that we are able to be recipients of your word even to this day so that we can know you, we can know Christ, we can understand your plan and your ways, and we can see what it looks like to be people of faith. God, we also thank you for Jesus himself, that he was your express image on earth, that you've shown the world who you are and what you look like through Jesus. God, I pray that we will pursue you through him and not pursue you through ourselves or through other ways, but that we would just pursue Christ, seek to be more like him. God, we, we, we want to have so much comfort and confidence in our knowledge of you, but, but we, we know that we are incomplete in that. But God, we, we ask that you will help us, that we will grow in our knowledge, that our confidence in you and our comfort in you will only grow with it. And the more that we grow in our knowledge, Lord, we pray that we will share not just how much we know, but we will share uh, who you are to other people. That grace and peace will not just be multiplied to us, but it will be multiplied through us, through our knowledge of you. To be with us, Lord, I pray that I pray that you will use us, that we will live in a way that glorifies you, so that people can see you through us. We pray all this in Jesus' name, Amen. If you do have a spiritual need and you need something at this time, like I said, you can talk to someone next to you, or you can come up here and you can handle that.
at the appropriate time. But Scott's going to have a, a song, and during the song we can just kind of reflect on ourselves.